stay welcome. Thank you for joining us and everybody that's here live. Uh, grateful to have you guys, especially if you're here for the first time because there's about 10 of you. Don't look around. But there's about 10 people here that I, I don't recognize you. If I don't recognize you, you either haven't been here in a while or this is your first time here. And I want to let you know that in behalf of our Crosspoint family, we're so happy that you would be here. We know that nobody is ever at church by accident. And nobody is ever exposed to God's word by accident. God has a plan. We can't always see it. We never can see it fully. But um, I'm confident that if you're here, it's by God's grace and God's doing. And so pray with me. Let us get started with prayer. Gracious Father, we're so grateful to you for allowing us to be here together, uh, lifting up our voices and recognizing your greatness and your love and your faithfulness towards us and towards everyone in this world. I want to thank you for everyone who's here, and I want to ask for a special blessing that as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, we trust that you will speak to us individually and collectively. We pray that you would transform our lives. We pray that you would help us to receive your word in our mind and in our hearts, that it would do its transforming work in us. I thank you, and I ask you this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks at least, we started a series called Invitations. And the, the idea there was to look at God's saving grace in saving people. And we see God at work. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Zacchaeus. Last week, we looked at Cornelius. And, um, and today, we're going to look at what some people call the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. So I'm excited to share this with you. I do have five points that I want to share, and we have less than 40 minutes, and so we are ready to roll. I hope you are too. If you have a Bible, you want to take that off, you want to use your phone, that's also great. So we're looking at biblical examples of God's saving grace, and a little bit of a, uh, you know, instructions as we start. Look, when we look at a story like here in John chapter 4 about the Samaritan woman, we have the tendency to try to apply maybe you know, our, our textual analysis that we learned at school. And so right away, we start looking at, like, who's the main person here? And what's the story about? And, you know, who's the... And, and that's all great. But let me give you a piece of advice. Anytime you look at a story in the Bible, it's about God. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so this morning, as we look at the Samaritan woman, it's really not so much about the Samaritan woman, although it is. But it's really, what is, what is God telling us? Why did the Holy Spirit move the Apostle John to write this story the way he did? Took almost a whole chapter about this woman at the well. And, and I would say to you, there's much more to the story. As great as the story is, and we're going to look at that. It's a beautiful, wonderful story. But ultimately, it's a story that speaks about God's grace. And it lets us know a little bit better about his heart. And as you look at this story, you should also try to interject yourself in this story and see what it is that God is teaching you. So even though this story was written some 2,000 years ago about a historical uh, encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, this story is really about you. And that's why I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you. And of course, you don't have to take it from me. My job is simply to share what's in the Word with you. Your job is to really just pay attention to the Lord and ask God, what do you have for me this morning? 
So don't get distracted. Don't fall asleep. Don't worry about the heat. Let's get to it. The title of this morning's message is None Too Far. None Too Far. If you're familiar with this story, you probably know what I'm talking about with that, with that title. And, and let me say it now. There is nobody in the history of humanity that has ever been too far gone, too much of a sinner, too much of a hypocrite that God cannot save. Where sin abounds, God's grace overabounds. That's the God that we worship. I want to share with you a key verse in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is Paul speaking, and he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says of himself, of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul considered himself the biggest sinners, the sinner of all because of his history, and then he was still sincere about his current state. As Christians, we believe that God would save us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. But it's so important to understand that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that which was lost was us also known as sinners. So let's talk about that. The main point this morning is this. If I could summarize the whole thing into one sentence, I would say, God is glorified when any person deemed too sinful by others is saved by God's amazing grace. God is glorified. When people look and say, that person became a Christian? I went to high school with that person. I don't think so. I remember how he spoke. I remember how he behaved. I remember the things he was doing. I remember the things she was doing. God saved that person. And yeah, God is glorified. How could God save such a person? How scandalous is that? That person is a preacher now? That person? Yeah. And so I say that because you know, one of Satan's favorite tactics is to make us think that we are too sinful to be able to receive God's grace. And some of us, let's put it out here now, some of us, our sins are very public and obvious. Everybody knows. But for the rest of us, we know how we are. We know our thoughts. We know our history. We know our tendencies. We know our motives. How scary is that? And how beautiful it is, like Chris Tomlin says in his song, Indescribable, you search the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You are an amazing God. Or John Newton writing this beautiful hymn that we're still singing centuries later, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wonderful person like me. Is that how it goes? You guys don't know that song? Yes, you do. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So, beloved, I know I'm speaking to a lot of people here, and some of us are thinking, okay, yeah, that is how I feel. I am that wretch from that, from that song. 
And then some of us might be sitting here thinking like, no, that's not really me. Yeah, yeah, that's my cousin. I think he's describing my cousin. No, the Lord is describing you. The Lord is describing me. The Lord is describing all of us. Sin is a great equalizer. You know, some of us might be better than other people. Like last week, we talked about Cornelius. What a stand-up guy with a great reputation. Everybody loved him. Everybody liked him. But he needed a savior just like everybody else. And today we're going to look at a woman who many had already deemed too sinful to even hang around with. So surely God wouldn't be interested in somebody like that, would he? And I'm here to say, yes, he would. Yes, he was. And he does the same for us. And I praise God for that. I want to read John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I figure if you read verses 1 through 40-something, we're not going to finish our service, our message. And so I'm just going to read John 4, 7 through 10. Your homework, as it was last week to read Acts 10, uh, is now to read John chapter 4. So you can get the whole story. But I'm just going to read a portion. So John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, I love this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's awesome. That's one of my points. I want to start preaching on that now, but I'm going to... Okay, a little bit. Jesus tells her, if you knew the gift and who it is that's asking you for a drink of water. One of the reasons why I'm honored to be a pastor, a preacher, or a teacher of the word is that I know that there was a point in my life when I did not know what that gift was. The gift that Jesus is describing or alluding to, to this woman. He tells her, if you only knew the gift of God, and if you only knew who it is that's talking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And living water speaks of a new life, a transformation, a conversion, a new birth. And beloved, the reason why I'm honored to be able to preach the word is because I know a lot of people don't know the gift of God. I know there are a lot of people that are religious and think they know the gift of God. But I know that a lot of people don't know what God's gift is. And today we're going to talk about what's God, what God's gift is. His gift of forgiveness. And that's a really big deal. I know for church people, we hear that all the time. Forgiveness is a word that we hear and we share, we talk about. But forgiveness of our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, is a really big deal. Eternal life is a big deal. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. The story of the woman at the well shows us, and we're going we're gonna to mention five things, and we're going to have to zoom through them because we have 30 minutes. You guys don't can't see this, but I have a timer with red numbers right in front of me now so that I 
because today we're having our first in-person Spanish service following this service, and so we got to be right on time. So let's get to it. So my sermon, the, my message this morning is basically fulfilling or, uh, yeah, this, this sentence. The story of the woman at the well shows us five things. Let's start with number one in case you're taking mental notes or notes on you. The first thing that, that this story shows us is Jesus' compassion. Jesus' compassion. We believe in, we trust in, and we love and serve a compassionate God. One who enters into our situation. Remember, God is spirit. And the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, became a man. He became like one of us. And I don't have time to try to describe and explain that. But the Bible teaches that Jesus is the eternal word. God himself. Second person of the Holy Trinity who became a man and was born of the Virgin Mary. Right? He lived the perfect life about 33 years. And then he offered that perfect life as a sacrifice and as a payment for the sins of the world, yours and mine. So let's take a look at Jesus' compassion. Verse 4. Let me read that to you. John chapter 4, verse 4 says, it says, but Jesus, let me start in verse 3, or two, three, verse three. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And verse four says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And I did a little research. There's at least three main roads that he could have taken. And one of them, two of them went around Samaria, which for most people would have been the preferred, for most, most Jews, that would have been the preferred route to take. But it says that Jesus took the route where he needed, because he needed to go through Samaria. So he takes that one route that goes through Samaria. And the reason why he needed to go through Samaria, we assess, is the fact that he needed to make, or, uh, well, he needed to meet this woman. He wanted to have an encounter with this Samaritan woman. And so it says that he needed to go through Samaria. And um, that's very important. Because it shows us his compassion. It shows us his care for this one woman. And we're going to talk about her in just a little bit. This was a special woman. And Jesus singles her out and says, I need to go through Samaria because I'm about to meet this woman from Samaria. And I have to tell you, beloved, when I say that nobody's here by accident, if Jesus has you here it's because God is interested in you. Whether you came with your family or you came with a friend or you came with your own, it doesn't really matter. God is interested in you more than you can understand. He wants you to hear this. And he wants you to understand that the same compassion that he shows towards his woman is the same compassion that he wants to show and is showing towards you. Let's look at the, the description of this, this woman so that we're able to understand a little bit about God's compassion. This wasn't just a woman. This was a woman that he meets at noon as she's going out to get water, to draw water. When everybody else went in the morning, I mean, imagine right now, right? How about waiting until it's 105 to go 
out and draw water. You would do it early in the morning. And, and we assessed that she was there at noon when nobody else would have been there because she was an outcast. She had no friends. Part of her history was such that it scandalized everybody else. She was a sinful individual. Imagine the scandal hanging around a sinful person. Who wants to do that, right? And I'm being sarcastic because all of us, beloved, are that sinful person. We have to understand this. This is essential to the gospel, that we realize that there is nothing in you, there's nothing in me for which we can bring to the table and say, God, would you accept me because of this? Would you, would you love me because look at what I've done, look at what I've stopped doing, look at my concern for this and my concern for that. We don't get to bring anything to the table. We don't get to negotiate with God. We have our sin and we have our need of a Savior. And the Bible says that Jesus is the only Savior. And so this woman was a sinful individual, but we have to understand, so are we. So are we. It is, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about her sinfulness, because the Lord brings it up. But we also see the fact that Jesus, our Lord, does not discriminate against people. That it's, that it's important to, to address that, especially nowadays with everything that's going on, especially here in America and the U.S. and in some of our cities with this racial tension. You th- if you think it's new, you are mistaken. If you think that issues between people based on their color or their socioeconomic status is a new thing, you would be mistaken. This is a sin problem, but it's not a sin problem that they have. It's a sin problem that we all have. And it goes all the way back to Cain murdering his brother Abel. And you couldn't blame guns. You couldn't blame violent video games. Or you couldn't blame anything other than their fallen human nature. Our heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked, that is why we need a Savior and a transformation. And so we see the Lord not discriminating against the fact that she was a woman, and and at that time, you know, a Jewish man would not speak to a woman in public other than to his wife. Even his daughters, he wouldn't speak to them publicly. Certainly not to a... so. For a Jewish man, which Jesus, Jesus was, speaking to a woman in public was, was a social no-no. To a Samaritan woman would be even worse. Unconceivable. And her reaction says it, right? She, when he asks her for a drink of water, she responds, how is it that you being a Jewish man ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? That's not done. Didn't you know that? But you know that, that Jesus is not concerned with our social concepts? He's concerned with individuals, and he's concerned with souls, with hearts. He's concerned with us. And so there is no person who Jesus is not willing to reach out to. Let me share a couple of verses. Romans 
in case you're thinking like, yeah, that's good for her, but you know, what has God done for me lately? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love towards you and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a really big deal. Romans 3.20 says that for we have all sinned, all of us have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. That's also a big deal. There's nobody like God. God is in a separate level, category, state. Everybody else are sinners. God alone is holy and perfect. Galatians 3.13 says that he became a curse for us so that we would be released from the curse of the law, redeemed from the curse of the law. And the way he did that is by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree, Galatians 3.13. And then 1 Peter 3.18 says that the just died once for the unjust. And you know 2 Corinthians 5.21, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but it says that he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, become sin for us that we will become the righteousness of God in him. These are really important verses that speak about God's compassion and love and what he's done for us. So the story of the woman at the well shows us Jesus' compassion, but point number two is that the story of the woman at the well also shows us Jesus' comment. We read this, and, and this comment has done a number on me. What comment are we talking about? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She doesn't know. I love this. I mean, if you think about this story, was she expecting to see Jesus? She didn't know who Jesus was. She didn't. All she knew is she was going in the middle of the day to draw water for her needs. That's what she knew for that day. She didn't wake up thinking like, oh, my alarm says I'm meeting Jesus today at noon. But the Lord knew. Oh, the Lord has perfect timing for everything, beloved. We have to trust that. He is the sovereign God. But he says, if you knew the gift and who it is that says to you, and what is that, that, that gift? That gift is eternal life. That gift is forgiveness of sins. I would love for you to understand the fact that the Bible teaches that we could be confident that all of our sins have been forgiven based on the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. Because of his value, being God himself, crucified for the sins of the world, his worth, is enough so that his sacrifice is enough to pardon all of your sins, past, present, and future. And let me say this, if ever you hear me say anything and it doesn't make sense to you or you want to know more about that, I would highly encourage you to reach out to me. Send me an email, mike at crosspointchristianchurch.com. I would love to hear from you. But I know I'm saying some things here that are pretty major and awesome. <laughs> And I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and allowing you to realize what a big deal these things are. 
and how they apply to you, regardless of who you are, where you've been, and where you're at. If you knew the gift and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Part of our responsibility and privilege as Christians is to let people know what the gift is. You know, we assume that people know what the gift is. But I'll tell you again, if you haven't seen this, me it's not very often that from the pulpit I recommend a documentary. But if you haven't seen this documentary, please watch it. It's called American Gospel. It's free on Netflix. If you're going to binge watch you know, Netflix, check out something good. American Gospel. Take a look at that. What the gospel is. And how so many people are deceived into thinking they have an understanding of the gospel when they don't have a proper biblical understanding of what the gospel is. Please watch it. And then, and then email me with your questions and we'll get together and chat. I think that's really important. If he only knew the gift, she didn't know the gift. We're going to realize right now in just a little bit that she was actually a religious person. Re Despite of her sin that we're going to touch on the next point, she was actually waiting for the Messiah. She was actually curious and wanted to know where it was that it was the right place where they should worship. She wanted, so there was something in her. And no doubt that's why God needed to go through Samaria. This woman was ready to receive the gospel. People need to know the gospel, beloved. Important things about the gospel is that salvation is by grace alone. God's unmerited favor. Through faith alone. Not by any works that you and I can muster up. In Christ alone. Not Christ and something else or someone else, including you. According to Scripture alone. We trust in the Word of God, not anything else that may be added to this. And for the glory of God alone. So salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. And each one of those things could be a series of sermons in themselves. But we need to understand that. Romans 2.8 says that by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Below, we have so many people that are religious. So many people that are religious. They're deep in their religion. They're full of faith. They sacrifice and they do, do, do in order to gain God's favor. And Christ would say, why are you doing, 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 trying to earn my favor when I have already done, done, done everything necessary for you to receive my favor? Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. That's actually very different from most people you know. If you know people that are not born again, that are not following Christ, that are not disciples of Jesus Christ, you look at those five things and 
It's probably by grace and works, by faith and good behavior in Christ plus my religion, according to scriptures plus tradition and for God's glory or very dangerously for my benefit and my own glory. We have to be very careful. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God. You all know how a gift works. If you have to work for it, that's not a gift. If you have to earn it, that's not a gift. You know, you ever go to your employer on Friday and say like, uh, you know, or your employer calls you to their office on Friday afternoon and says, hey, I got a gift for you. You're like, oh, a bonus? You know? A turkey? And then you get them and he gives you your check for the hours that you worked. How would you feel about that? What do you mean a gift? Like, I worked for this. I worked hard for my money. That wasn't a gift. You owed me that. And God says, nobody's going to come up to me and ever say, hey, can I get what I deserve? Can we all agree and understand that what you and I deserve is to be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. If you want what you deserve, that's what you'll only ever deserve. It is only by God's grace and His work and His love that we get to get something other than what we deserve. And that's what grace talks about. God's mercy is us not receiving the punishment that, is, that we deserve. God's grace is, goes far above that. Not only do we not get what we deserve, but we get what we don't deserve in God's love. John 1.12 says, But to those who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Rome 3.16 in John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him, faith, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I already mentioned to you Ephesians 2.8. So, in this story, we see Jesus' compassion. We see His comment about if He knew the gift and who it is that says to you. Point number three is Jesus' confrontation. Oh boy, here He is talking to this woman. This woman's like, she just wants physical water. The Lord is talking about giving her living water. He says, if you only knew this gift that I have for you, and she must be feeling really good, thinking like, wow, that's pretty good. I came for physical water, but here's this man talking about living water, running water. You know, uh, she's, she, at one point she says, well, give me that water so that I don't have to come here and draw water anymore. And, and she's not getting it. She's not understanding that Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. She's thinking physical water. She's thinking, you know, I won't have to come here and draw water anymore. I could just stay home and just get that living water. And she's not getting the spiritual part. And I love this. Jesus says to her, when he perceives that, you know, she's not getting it. You got to take this to the next level. He simply says, all right, why don't you go call your husband and bring him here? And right away she says like, oh, I have no cell service here. Can't call him. She lies. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. 
And the Lord says to her, I would imagine, big surprise. You're right. You don't have a husband because you have had five husbands and the man that you're living with now is not even your husband. Woo! Imagine that. Imagine somebody just coming up to you and telling you everything that you know is wrong about you and just laying it out there. So the confrontation here is Jesus brings up her sin before her to get her to understand that he's speaking in spiritual terms. She's concerned with her physical needs. And beloved, so many of us are caught up with our physical needs. Yeah, you got to pay the rent and the car payment. Of course, the cable bill, right? God, woo! Internet and your cell phone. Everybody got to take care of that. And we all do. And we worry about these things. But she was worried about the physical water only. And the Lord needed for her to start worrying about her spiritual need. And beloved, if you're not careful, all you're going to worry about is your physical needs. And religion can take care of that for you. You can probably find any religion and they'll help you with your physical needs, even this need of, you know, a sense of belonging to a group. And, you know, they're all nice at that church. I like it because they're nice. And they're always giving stuff. Like they gave free water today and it was cold and shade. They provided shade for me. How cool is that? I like that. You could probably find any religion to satisfy those types of needs, beloved. But only the gospel will address your spiritual most important need. And for that, we need to recognize that you and I are sinful and in need of a Savior, and that Jesus is the only one that can save. And so here comes the Lord and says, bring your husband. And she lies to him and says, I don't have one. And the Lord's compassion and love and patience is amazing. How do you like it when people lie to your face? How dare you lie to my face? You know what? I'm never going to talk to you again. So disrespectful. And here we see the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, being lied to his face. And all he says is like, you're right, you don't have a husband. And I don't know how he said it. Probably didn't say it as sarcastically as I'm saying it right now, huh? But he tells her, right to her, brings up the sin problem. Beloved, the gospel needs to be understand in the, in, the, in the context of our desperate need, our spiritual bankruptcy. If you just go somewhere where they tell you about God's love and you know what he has for you, if you only knew the gift, but that gift can only be received by someone who understands their need, their desperate, dire need of a Savior. The good news of salvation is that you are dead in your sins and trespasses, and only Jesus can give you a new life. You got to hurry up here. Jesus, our Lord, in Luke 5.31, speaking to some of these religious leaders, God tells them, the, the, those who think they're well, they don't need a doctor. And too many people in churches and religions think that they don't need a spiritual doctor. 
I'm a good person. I don't, I don't, need, a, I don't need a savior. I'm a good person. My uncle needs a savior. This person needs a savior. My neighbor, you should hear him. But beloved, we're all conceived in sin, born in sin. Our sinful nature is in us, and we need a transformation. We need a Savior. Jesus alone is that. Let me jump to uh, point four. Talk about Jesus' claim. So important. In um, John four twenty six, this woman says, hey, the Messiah's coming. She was waiting for the Messiah, the Christ. And then he's, and she's, she tells him, he's going to tell us everything that we need to know. And then she's asking about where to worship. And, and the Lord does something that he didn't do very often. He proclaims his Messiahship to a person. When you read the Gospels, you see that he would hide that from people. If you, the religious leaders would say, if you're the Christ, just tell us. Tell us plainly. And he would say, well, don't you see my works? Don't they testify of me? But he wouldn't just say, like, I am he. He would equate himself with God, and he would kind of allude to it, but he would hide it from these religious people that really weren't interested in the Messiah. They were probably interested in what he could give them and, and for their convenience, but to this woman, he plainly says in verse 26, the woman said to him in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Why is he telling this so such important thing to this woman? You and I would probably be the same as everybody else. We would think like, why is he meeting with her? Why is he revealing himself to her? And I love that because he did that for me. He did that for you. That speaks of his compassion and his love for you. And that nobody is more important than anybody else. We look at the outside, unfortunately, but God sees the heart. And as he saw this woman's heart, and he loved her and revealed himself to her. So Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the one that was to come and defeat death and set up his kingdom. The Son of Man. He that had been prophesied about, Jesus is the Messiah, the eternal God in the flesh. The religious Jews sought to kill him for those types of claims. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus, it's, it's imperative that we understand who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a uh, moral person, a good example of how to live. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. Jesus tells his disciples, who do men say that I am? And his disciples start saying that. Well, some people say you're John. Some people say you're one of the Old Testament prophets. And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? And the question goes for us, who do you say Jesus is? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord says, right on, Peter. And you answer that question only because God, my Father, revealed it to you. And so if we have a relationship with God, it's only because of God's grace. Let me wrap this up. Really short point, which is, so we looked at Jesus' compassion, his comment, his confrontation, 
his claim, and then we see a town's conversion. John 4, 42, we'll wrap it up with this. Then they said to the woman, oh, so after, you guys know the story, but after the woman understands, she leaves her pot, her water pot, runs to the town and just says, hey, come and see this person that has said everything that I've ever done. And they come out and they hear him, they ask him, they ask him to stay. But verse 42, listen to what the town, the whole town. Oh, I love it. Hey, some of you young people, listen up. I like that everybody looked over here. Look at you. Nice. I love it. Everybody, you know, what? Talking to me now. Yes, all of you guys. But especially the younger ones, especially if you're growing up in church and you come because your parents come, like I did as a kid. It's not enough to believe in a God that your parents believe in or your teacher believes in or your youth leader believes in or your pastor believes in. You have to come to an individual personal realization and conviction of who Jesus is. Is he the Christ? Is he the Savior of the world? And it's not something that you're just going to catch. The Lord says that if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I want to encourage you. Seek the Lord. Read the word. Be students and disciples of the word. God has given us life and time and a mind and the ability to read and to study, ask questions. The best thing you could do is invest part of your life or all your life to knowing who God is. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world, and He wants to be your Savior and Lord. We see a town's conversion. So here the Lord needs to meet one woman, but God has a plan bigger than what you could imagine. It wasn't just about her. It was about Him revealing Himself to her and through her, a whole town comes to know him, and that's for what he came. He came to seek and to save. And a whole town comes to faith in Christ through this woman. And all praise and glory goes to God. All right. I wish I had another hour, but we don't. I know you're all bummed out too, but um, I love sharing this with you. Please read the story. If you don't have a study Bible, Invest in a study Bible. If you don't have one, if you can right now, see me. I would love to help with that. Um, you need to know what you believe and believe what you know. So as believers, and part of why we gather together is to be able to celebrate, to sing unto the Lord and, and to proclaim His grace and His mercy and love towards us, to exalt Him for He's worthy. To study the word and hear a message from him. And we also gather that we would celebrate and remember what the Lord has done for us. So if you have your elements, we want to take communion here. And this is a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Everything that we've talked about here, the gospel is available to us because of what Jesus has done for us. And so if we have been reconciled with God. If we understood that we are sinful and in need of a Savior and that He is the only one that can save and we have accepted His gift of salvation by faith and we've been born again, we celebrate that through the taking of communion. The bread represents Christ's body that was sacrificed on our behalf and the Jews represents his blood that was shed for us as a payment for our sins.
And Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful once again to you. We want to express our gratitude to you for allowing us to spend this time together. I thank you for everybody who's here this morning, for those who are listening and viewing online. We ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that you would allow us the privilege to know you better and to grow in wisdom through your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence and your power, for your conviction of our sin. We want to honor you. We want to live for you. We thank you. We ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you, beloved.